Bible this morning in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We have been in Matthew for a while. We're going through the Sermon on the Mount. If you're just joining us this morning uh, for the first time in a while, Jesus began his ministry by just continuing the thought that John the Baptist gave of repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He began the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5. And that first chapter there, chapter 5, has to do with relationships between you and God, between you and men, you and each other. Chapter 5. We go to chapter 6. Now Jesus is going to touch on worship. All right? He's going to talk and and, and teach us this morning about what it is to truly worship God. Jesus is coming again to establish an earthly kingdom. And so he's beginning to tell the people what the characteristics of those kingdom people are like. What they will be, not what they should be, what they will be. So when you read this, this is not a suggestion to you. This is not something you ought to just mull over and then put it down and walk away from it. This is something you need to become. This is something you need to do if you're going to be in the kingdom of heaven. The question is, who's going to be in the kingdom of heaven? The Jews thought they were in it by birth. They thought because they were Jewish, they were automatically in, right? And Jesus came and taught us that that's not the case. It's not due to your birth. It's due to your belief. The kingdom people are made up of people who believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that he provided the way of salvation to enter into the kingdom of God. So you need to line your thinking up with what Jesus says. It's okay to have your own thoughts and it's okay to have your own ideas and go your own way. But when you come to the end of life, if you don't have him and his way, then you're doomed. There's no other way. There's no other option. There's man's way or there's God's way. And so I hope this morning that you would find God's way in your own life as we look at chapter 6. Now, these uh, chapters determine or they tell us and exhibit to us the character of God. The Sermon on the Mount then is the revelation of that character that God is looking for in His people. As I said, chapter 6 focuses on worship. You know, that's the greatest privilege that you and I have as a human being is to be allowed to worship God. We are allowed to enter the throne room of God to honor Him, to glorify Him, to hold close to Him, to know Him, to exalt Him. The downside of that privilege is hypocrisy. The verses I read to you earlier, I don't know if you caught it, but they were talking about hypocrisy. And today Jesus is going to talk about hypocrisy. He's going to talk about someone acting the part but not really being the part. And so today I hope that that doesn't fall on you. I hope that you are the part that you read here in our text. That you're not simply acting the part. The downside of, of knowing God, the privilege of being able to worship Him, is hypocrisy. What is hypocrisy? It is the degeneration of worship into religion. Worship is not religion. And religion is not worship. So hypocrisy is when you start out 
worshiping God, but it degenerates into religion. And then you start worshiping with external things only, not internal. One text I read you in in Luke 11, Jesus talking to the Pharisees, he said, you need to clean the inside of the cup as well as the outside of the cup. Did not he who made the outside also make the inside? And so we can put on a show and we can fool people, but we can't fool the Lord. And he's adamant about it. This is my kingdom. These are my people. This is what they will look like. In John chapter 4, Jesus stopped at a well to get a drink and a woman came out to draw water. And y'all know the story. She said, well, you Jews say we're supposed to go to Jerusalem and worship. And Jesus said, ah, wait a minute. He said, now is, the time is coming and now is when God looks for worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Right? It's not a location. You don't just come to this church building to worship. You worship wherever you are at any time where you are. 24 hours a day. Your lifestyle is your worship. The way you think is your worship. The way you act, the things you watch on television, that's your worship. Everything about you is worshiping God. That's why Jesus narrows this down. He gives us three examples. We'll briefly touch on those this morning. But Jesus said that God's looking for people who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. If we broke the word worship down as far as we could in the Hebrew, it would be this, to bow down. All right? If you want to talk about worship, it's bowing down before God. It is acknowledging the supremacy of God and the humbleness of you. That is real worship. It's not singing songs necessarily. It's not hearing a sermon preached. It's not putting money in the plate necessarily. Worship is you acknowledging the supremacy of God, and the humbleness of yourself. That is true worship. Now, the Jews had it figured out that it was the location, as the woman at the well thought. The Jews thought, well, you have to go to the temple to worship, and you've got to go through certain motions in order to accomplish worship. Jesus taught us differently. He said, no, worship is done in spirit and in truth, and it's not done at a particular place. So what's key to worship? If worship is me acknowledging God's supremacy and I humble myself before Him, that's the beginning of worship, then how do I continue that? I have to be motivated to worship. That's the key behind worship. Why are you doing what you do? That's where Jesus is at this morning. So let's stand and let's figure out and read together what Jesus is teaching us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Last time you'll have to stand till the end, okay? Here we go. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. When therefore you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. Verse 3, but when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That your alms may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. And when you pray, you are not to be as the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners in order to be seen by men. 
Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your inner room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will repay you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. For they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Three more. Verse 16. And whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do. For they neglect their appearance in order to be seen fasting by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that you may not be seen fasting by men, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. Lord Jesus, thank you for your teaching. Lord, help us to uh, find our motives for doing things. Help us to correct those if need be this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Jesus tells us to do these things. We are to give, we are to pray, we are to fast. But he says, but don't do it like them. You need to do it, but don't do it like them. Like who? Like the hypocrites. Three times he calls these, three examples, three times he calls these Pharisees hypocrites. You know, there's hypocrites everywhere. Uh, We don't have to go to a a church to find a hypocrite. Now, a lot of people say they don't go to church because y'all are hypocrites, and I'm a hypocrite. But they need to know they're hypocrites too. Amen? There's hypocrites everywhere. We, We see politicians. They start out being a public servant, and they end up being a public serpent. There's all kinds of hypocrites everywhere that we go. There's hypocrites in marriages. Husbands are hypocrites. Businessmen and women can be hypocrites. Children can be hypocrites. Wives can be hypocrites. Workers can be hypocrites. Pretending to work hard uh, when the boss shows up, but not really hitting the lick at a snake any other time of the day. We all can have hypocrites. What about in the church? That's what Jesus is addressing. His kingdom people. He says, I don't want you to be hypocrites. I want you to be genuine people. I want you to be real people. He's telling us in verse 1, beware. Guard your motives. That's what he's saying to us. He's not necessarily giving us instruction on how to pray. He, He gives us a little bit of that in the middle example. He doesn't give us instructions on how to give. Or even give us instructions on on how we should fast. But he is telling us to beware of your motives behind it. What what motivates you? What's behind your Christian devotion? What was behind you putting that money in the plate this morning? What was behind that in your life? What was behind your serving in the church? What's behind me when I stand up here and preach to you? What's my motive in doing that? What am I trying to gain or accomplish or or do the same goes for all of us in this room it's our motives behind our actions that Jesus is concerned with he's not concerned with just the act of doing it 
He's concerned with why you do what you do. That's where he's going with these hypocritical people and trying to teach you and I. What's behind that? What's behind my public praying? What's behind my private prayer life? What's behind when I help somebody financially or or materialistically? What's behind that when I help that person? What's behind me when I discipline my body? What's behind all of that? That's what Jesus is after this morning. Let's get real for a moment, okay? Let's, Let's get real with each other for a moment. Let's say that you gave something to someone a gift of some kind or, or uh, material things, clothing, food, whatever it might be, money, and you gave it to them and, and you uh, noticed that this person was very grateful. But in your giving of it, you were looking for attention. Maybe you wanted somebody to see you give it. Does this person you gave it to, do they care about that? Do they care if you get acknowledged for giving the gift? No, they don't care. They they received the gift. They got what they were needing. And guess what? You got what you were looking for. Jesus says, if you do something like that, but you want to be noticed, then you've received your reward in full. You've been noticed. But don't think that you'll receive anything from your heavenly Father. Jesus is not about the action. He's about the motive behind the action. Now that gets deep, doesn't it? That, that makes me think about why I do things. You see, this is the, the kingdom characteristics of people that will live in heaven. And if I don't make that adjustment now, I won't be one of those. I'll be one of these hypocrites who thought I was going because I was born there. Or because my parents took me to church. Or, or because I, I go to church myself. Because I give money, Brother Clay. I, I'm going, right? Because I do that? No. You don't go to heaven because of that. You go to heaven because you line up with the Lord's teaching about heaven. And about His people. And what it means to be saved. And Jesus goes beyond our actions to the motives of our heart. Hey, I'm sure we... Most of us, probably all of us, have good intentions when we start to give or help. But eventually, we're all deceived by sin. And we all like acknowledgement. We all like to receive acknowledgement. And you know, I don't necessarily experience in this life or receive In this life, the reward that my father's talking about here. But I can receive immediate reward from men. Let's say that I preached a sermon and you you appreciated the content of the sermon. But I preached that sermon, unbeknownst to you, with ulterior motives in mind. My heart was wrong in preaching or delivering that sermon. Hey, you received it. You thought it was a good sermon. But the act of delivering that sermon was wrong. Let's say that the choir sings a beautiful choir special. And we just love it and we applaud and we thank them and praise God for that song. But some of those choir members in their heart was empty. There was no worship, no purpose, no meaning 
to that song for them. You, you received the gift. You loved it. But the action of the gift being delivered, the action of the sermon being preached, the action of you giving and helping someone was skewed. It was wrong. You see where I'm going? That's where Jesus goes. That's what he's addressing today. Why do you do what you do? What's behind your motive as a Christian in serving and giving and acting the way that we do? Let me give you an example. Peter was in Antioch. And, and, and Peter uh, was sitting with the Gentiles, dining with them and fellowshipping with them. And you know, as a Jewish man, according to Judaism, that was a no-no. That was violating the law. You don't associate, you don't dine with, with Gentiles. But Peter was doing this. He was a Christian. He was saved. He was out witnessing, sharing the gospel. But guess what? Some important Jews showed up in Antioch. Paul happened to be one of them. And when Peter heard they were coming, what did he do? The Bible says he pushed those Gentiles away. Uh-uh. And he went over here and he sat with the Jews. And he ate with the Jews. He's being a hypocrite, isn't he? He's not living and doing what he knows is right. Paul calls him out on it. Right in front of everybody. Choose him out, really. Can you imagine somebody chewing Peter out? But that's what happens. And Paul calls him and he stands condemned before people because he's being hypocritical of his belief of his practice. Now, we may not do that. We may not shun somebody to be with somebody else. Uh, whoa, maybe we do. Maybe we neglect someone so that we can be somewhere else or with somebody else that we would rather be with. I'm not going to go there with you. I'm just going to say we have to be careful of that. Peter experienced it. Paul brought it out. Hypocrisy runs rampant. So because of that, Jesus says... When you give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. When you pray, go in your closet and shut the door and pray. When you fast, wash your face so that no one knows that you're fasting. Isn't it ironic that we can go to the Christian bookstore and we can buy books on how to fast? That's, that's wrong. That's totally out of sync with what Jesus is saying. Okay, It's not about how you do it. It's not about the proper procedure or all of that. You don't wear certain clothes. You don't do certain things when you fast. Here's what Jesus said. When you fast, you wash your face, you straighten up, and you put a smile on your face, and you don't let anybody know you're fasting. That's how you fast. That's the motive behind fasting because your Father will see it. So we all have said, oh, I'm going to fast. You've got your reward. You're going to do without food for a day. You've got your reward. You're going to have an empty gut. You think you're going to get something from God? You'll get nothing from God. Because you told somebody you were going to fast. You see what I'm saying? There's, there's motive behind everything that we do. So that's what we have to be careful of. So how do I correct that? How do I correct my motives? I consider Jesus. I consider the Lord in everything that I do. I make Him my motive. Otherwise, I have no reward from Him. In all of these examples, these three, He promised to give reward. Did He not? 
Isn't that a great privilege to go to God in prayer and know that He'll hear you and know that He'll reward your prayer? He'll answer it. That's a great honor, is it not? It's a great honor to know and to give to the Lord and know that He'll reward you for giving when you do it in secret. It's a great honor to know that I can fast and separate myself from all the worldly things in my life and spend time with the Lord alone and nobody has to know but me and Him. And guess what? He'll reward me. But if I let Gail know it, if I let my kids know it, then that's my reward. I get nothing from Him. Hey, it goes deep, doesn't it? It goes, it goes beyond. You say, Brother Clay, you're out of order there. That's not how that works. Hey, I'm not, I didn't make this up. This is what our master told us. This is what the Lord told us. And so, how do I correct it? I make him my reward. I focus on him in everything that I do. Here's what Paul wrote in Colossians 3. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So, is God's stamp of approval on the things that you do? That's a question you need to ask yourself this morning. The things that I do in the church, the service, the money I give, all the things that I want to help do, create, exhibit, do they have God's stamp of approval? Am I doing it for Him or am I doing it to be seen by men? To be recognized by someone in the church, right? That's, it's uh, something you and all of us will face. Do our gifts, when I give it to somebody, here's a good way to think about it when you give a gift. Think about when you, where you were before you were a Christian. Think about in your life what you were like and what you were living and experiencing before you came to Christ. And all of a sudden, God revealed himself to you. And the Holy Spirit convicted you of your sin. And Jesus Christ offered his grace to you and you received that grace. Were you not grateful for that? So when you give a gift to someone, think of it as Christ just extending through you the gift that you received. Now you are extending it to them. You are out of the middle. You're a channel. That gift that you received now extends to someone else. And now they can glorify God. Isn't that what Jesus meant in chapter 5? Let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. Not you. You don't get the reward of that. The Father gets it. Why? Because God says, I don't share my glory with anyone. No one else will I share my glory with. That means you and I as well. God won't share His glory with us. So we have to be like Jesus Christ and live a life Pleasing to the Father because Jesus said, I'm always doing what pleases my Father. I'm bringing glory to Him. I'm bringing honor to Him. That's how you should do your actions in church service, in giving, in all of the ways of being a Christian. Follow that example that Jesus gave us. Now let's briefly look at the three examples. The first one uh, is giving. Now this was crucial in uh, the Jewish culture because they didn't have social security and welfare and, and all the charity organizations that we have today. 
DHS and food banks and all of that. They didn't have that back then. So there were laws wrote into Judaism and said, when you go harvest a field, you better leave some behind. Don't harvest the corners. Leave that for the poor so they can go in and glean the fields themselves. Remember the book of Ruth and and Boaz and how she went in behind the workers to gather up food for her and Naomi? And so Boaz saw her doing that. That was part of the law. And so that carried over into Christianity. It was important to take care of people and to give with that in mind. So giving was vital for the Christian life. But what happened is it became in danger of having wrong motives in giving. And so that's where the Pharisees came in. Everyone has a human craving for recognition. And so the Pharisees would give of their tithes, but they wanted everybody to see it so that they could be recognized as being righteous. They could be recognized as being holy. You know, today, if we did what the Pharisees would do back then, we would uh, buy a piece of equipment in the church and somebody would donate money to that. And you know what we would do today? We'd, we'd stamp their name on a gold plaque and put it on that piece of equipment. I've been in churches where that's done before. You know, that, that kind of bothered me a little bit. I, and, and because usually it's the person who's already gone home. They, they passed away. And I'll, I'll guarantee you that if they could talk to the church, they'd say, get my name off that. Amen? If you're going to put a name on that, put Jesus Christ on that. This was donated by Jesus Christ or for Jesus Christ. And, and I'm telling you, that's how, if we wanted to practice Judaism today, we would leave the offering place right up here on the table, and we would say, okay, it's time for the offering, and you would have to make your way up here to put your money in the plate. And then everybody could see who gave and who didn't give. Wow, that's terrible, isn't it? That's a horrible way of, of doing it, but that's what the Pharisees would do. They wanted to be recognized as giving. And guess what? They were the religious leaders, so all the religious people, the church, just fell in line with them. And they would uh, blow a trumpet. You've heard of the phrase, toot your own horn. Well, you know that's where this came from. Pharisees would toot their horn and put their money in the plate, and everybody would recognize them. You know, I, I was even in a church one time where I wasn't the pastor, but there was a guy who was a, a little bit wealthy, and he would... Come on Sunday morning, but that's the only time you would see him in church. He would come on Sunday morning, but I'll guarantee you, at business meeting night, when there was going to be something done with the money, he'd be in his seat. Now, was he giving for the right reason? Was he giving for the Lord? You have to be the judge of that. I had to have to be the judge of that. But I would question that, wouldn't you? That he never showed up to church any other time except Sunday morning and business meeting when money was dealt with. That's the only time he would come. That's the practice that Jesus is getting to in our motives. Why we do what we do. In Christ, there's no boasting. There's no bragging. There's no recognition. There is just simply joy in giving to Jesus Christ. Now, the second thing I want you to see, the example he gave, was in praying. Do you pray to draw attention to yourself? I would say most of you know. In fact, some of you don't pray publicly because you don't want to draw attention to yourself. And that's okay. But I want you to understand this. 
public praying is simply an overflow of private praying. Okay? Now, I know there's people, not necessarily in our church, but I've seen them and you've seen them. They can spit out some religious words a mile long and make everybody think how holy they are. But I want you to know, it's not the amount of words. It's not the kind of words. It's not the arrangement of words. It's not the size of the prayer that gets God's attention when you pray. You know what gets His attention? When you humble your heart before Him and you recognize your need and dependence on Him. He recognizes that kind of a prayer. So, Jesus gave us an example. When you pray, don't do it like the hypocrites who stand on the corner and pray to be seen by men, but rather go into the closet. Now, I hope when I call on somebody to pray, you guys don't stop, okay? Praying publicly. That's not the intent here. That's not what the Lord wanted us to see. He wants us to understand that we need to pray publicly. We need to pray privately. A great measure of your devotion to Jesus Christ. Listen to me, church. Listen. A great devotion, a great measure of your devotion to Christ is your private prayer life. Did you hear that? A great measure of your devotion to Jesus Christ is your private prayer life. I can't tell what that is. Your spouse should not be able to tell what that is. But you and him know what that is. A great measure of your love and devotion to your Lord and Savior is your private prayer life. Where is that right now in your life? Where are you in that example? Now Jesus goes on in verse 7 and 8 and gives us a little indicator of uh, of, of how we should not pray. When you pray, don't use repetitive words. Right? And then we all know that. We, we've seen people that have uh, prayer beads and there will be a prayer for each of those beads and we've seen Muslims pray and bend over and bow and worship towards the east or wherever Mecca is and they will pray repetitive words over and over and over. You know, you and I as Christians, we don't get trapped in that repetitive prayer uh, cycle But here's where you and I get trapped. Instead of having repetitive words to say, I end up saying mindless words. Lord Jesus, thank you for this food that you provide for us every day. Bless it to our body. Amen. Now, have I engaged the Lord? Hey, it's good. It's practiced to be able to just throw out a prayer over the meal and and say thanks for it. But that does not mean you don't engage Him. When you sit down at a meal to give true thanks to Him, you engage Him. And I'm telling you this, I'm as guilty as anyone in this room. I can pray that quick prayer probably faster than anybody in here and simply not engage my Lord at all when I sit down and give thanks for a meal. That's what Jesus is saying. What's your motive behind this prayer? Is it to get that first, meat, uh, first bit of food in your mouth? So are you going to spit something out real quick in a prayer? Or are you really going to thank me and engage me before you put that food that I gave you and supplied you in your mouth? You see what I'm saying? It's the motive behind what we do. That's what the Lord is after. I'm challenging you men when you sit down at your dinner table this afternoon that you engage Christ before you put that food in your mouth. 
You start engaging Him every time that you pray. It's not the size of the prayer, the religious words of the prayer, or anything like that that He connects with or that gets His attention. It's you engaging with Him. That's what He's after. Wow, what a deep lesson we're learning today. The last example that He gave us was fasting. Now, we don't fast as Baptists. That's almost a sacrilege to think that a Baptist would fast. And some people say, well, fasting is no longer a part of the New Testament teaching, just like some will say the tithe is no longer a, a part of the New Testament teaching, which I would have to disagree with both. Jesus says right here, when you fast, do it this way. No, he doesn't say do it this way. He says when you fast, don't do it this way, as the hypocrites do. So, fasting. Well, what can we do? We, uh, we, we practice fasting for various reasons. It's been done for centuries, all the way back into Old Testament times. It's to express a devotion to God. It's to disconnect from the world. We usually tie it to food for some reason. There can be many different types of fast, but we humble ourselves in a fast. We, des- we show our desire for God in this fast, but we're never to do it to draw attention to ourselves. We're never to tell somebody we're fasting. That's, the, that's broken it. We've gotten our reward when we do that, when we tell someone. Now, can we fast together as a couple? Of course. I said earlier, I'm not going to tell Gail I'm fasting. She would know because she sees me putting stuff in my face all the time, right? And she would know I'm not eating. And then I have to say, I can't tell you. That wouldn't be right. What's wrong? Nothing's wrong. I just can't tell you what I'm doing. Well, you know, you know where that would go. So we could fast as a couple together, right? We could understand each other. We could even fast together. But we don't do it to be seen by people. And fasting is not the disconnecting from the world. Fasting is connecting to Him. That's fasting. I I, I could still eat and have a fast connecting to God. I could still do things and have a fast connecting to God. It's the idea that I neglect myself of the things of the world. We all like to fast from work, don't we? We call that a weekend or a day off. We, we disconnect, right? Now, do you spend that time connecting with God? Probably not. But that would be a fast if you did so. So you see my point. The warning that Jesus is giving us, He's not giving us instructions on how to pray, how to fast, and how to give. He's giving us a warning. What's behind the motive when you do that? What's the purpose in you doing that? Jesus says we need to guard our spiritual devotion. Guard our spiritual condition. Why? Because of the deceitfulness of sin. You and I, every one of us here, we still battle the flesh day in and day out. Paul had a thorn in his side. Everybody speculates on what that was. What was Paul's thorn? And we don't know what it was, but we know he had it. And he asked God to remove it, and God said, No, my grace is sufficient for you. You deal with that, Paul. You deal with it. Paul said it was to keep him humble. I'm glad you and I don't have thorns in our sides to keep us humble. We have a teaching of our Lord to do that for us. 
Now, he could put a thorn in our side, but he hasn't chosen to do that just yet. So Paul had to learn how to battle the flesh. Peter was rebuked by Paul. He had to learn to overcome that hypocritical attitude that he had toward the Gentile people. Verse 1 starts out with the word, beware. Beware of how you practice your righteousness. Practicing it before men. Here's a key to help you understand. Where do you get security? I I know uh, children get security in their parents. And I know wives get security in their husbands. And husbands get security in their jobs. People get security from different places in life. It gives us comfort. It gives us acknowledgement. It gives us satisfaction. We get security. Well, when I'm a hypocrite and I put money in that plate, where am I getting my security from? I'm getting it because you saw me put it in there. And now I know that you know that I tithe. Or at least that I put something in the plate. And so that's where I get my security. Because you know it about me. It makes me feel good about myself. So ultimately, my security lies in me and not in him. That's what God is telling you this morning. Where do you find your security In what he thinks of you or what your neighbor thinks of you? What your pastor thinks of you? Find your security in what God thinks of you. What God says about you. It doesn't matter what everybody else thinks about you. Amen? Because you're after the heavenly reward that God offers, not the worldly reward that man might offer. Examine your motives this morning. It's never too late to change You say, Brother Clay, I've been doing this my whole life like this. Today's the first day of the rest of your life. You could change what you're doing today by simply considering the Lord before you do anything and giving and praying and fasting in a proper attitude with Jesus Christ as the focus of your life. You know, I'm a grandpa now. And I don't get to, I've got some granddaughters and my daughters over here, and I don't get to go to many of their games when they were growing up. But but I remember as a kid when you would uh, do something on the field or on the basketball court, and you would look up in the stands to see if your mom and dad was watching, and they would be up there cheering you on, right? And and there there was a moment there where there was nobody else in the room. That auditorium or that gymnasium or that football stadium could be full of people, but you connected with your dad and your mom way up there in the stands. All the players were gone and all the fans were gone, and you were connecting with them. You see, that's what God wants to do with you. Put everybody else aside and connect with your heavenly Father. Notice how Jesus addresses him. Your Father. Your Father. And I read, if you asked God for something, or you asked your dad for something, would he give you something else? No, he wouldn't. And Jesus says, so if your dad, being a sinner, knows how to give you something good, how much more will your Father in Heaven give you that ask? Amen? Think of the privilege you have of entering the throne room of God and giving to Him. 
and praying to him and fasting before him. And he says, your father who sees in secret will reward you. Man, we need to change the way we do things. Some things, don't we, church? We need to change the way we approach giving and serving and doing in God's kingdom. I told you at the beginning, if you don't line up with this now, and you come to the end of your life, too late. I'm sorry. He'll say, I never knew you. These people he knows. The hypocrites he doesn't know. Let's pray. Father, bless your moments right now in your church, in this service, at this time when we offer an invitation. Lord, I know that You've spoken to all of our hearts, and, and we have to look at the reasons that we do the things we do. And I pray, Father, that you find purity in us. And I pray you find that we are faithful. And I pray that you find that we are honest and sincere. But, Lord, if we're not, I pray that you bring that to our attention right now. Bring that issue to my mind that I can repent of it and turn from it and do the things you want me to do. I always want to be pleasing to you as your son, Jesus Christ, was. Help us all to do that today. In Jesus' name, amen.